And so we, we think of Valentine's Day and we, we think of romantic love and the person you care about and all those kinds of... And it's wonderful. We need to do it. So I, I'm like, I'm all for it. What's sad to me is that so many people have never experienced that. And their stories are very, very, very different when it comes to relationships. I'm thinking of a woman whose life was relationally broken. She had failed in several marriages and had chosen, in her present situation, for financial purposes, to be with a fella, but she wasn't married to him. But she didn't know how to make it through life. And, and, and if you would ask her, she would tell you that her life is mundane, monotonous, and filled with very, very little hope. Until one day, she met Christ. Her story is told in John chapter 4. If you'll turn over there, I want to just walk through this familiar passage with you. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You know what I love about it? I love so many things about it. We, 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 we see our Lord in action with people. And we can see His, his incredible passion and His love. The setting comes in the first couple of verses. Let me, let me just read it. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. We'll work through, walk through some of this. Now, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that He was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only His disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Look at verse 4, folks. And He had to pass through Samaria. Oh, really? Like, why? There was all kinds of routes you could have taken. He didn't have to go through Samaria, for goodness sakes. Or, or did he? Now, this would be a divine appointment. He had to. Because that's who he is. He came to a city of Samaria in verse 5. Called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. And probably they had started their journey early in the morning, five, six in the morning. So they've been traveling for six hours. And what happens in this story, it's, it's a really powerful story. If you think of the different characters, some are in the foreground and some are in the background, and they move kind of back and forth. Where it's going to start is you come up, and Jesus is both thirsty and hungry as the story opens. And you know what's interesting as we go through the story? You never do find Jesus eating or drinking in this story. But that's where it starts. He's hungry and he's thirsty. So he sends his guys for food. So they leave. So they, they kind of move to the background and he's going to have this encounter with this woman. And then later she's going to run to the village and while she's going, they're going to come back and Jesus is going to have this encounter with them. And then he's going to have an encounter with everybody. So it's a great story. I mean, you're moving back and forth with all these scenes. But he starts out with this encounter with the Samaritan woman. And uh, frankly, it doesn't start out terribly well in the first several verses in the encounter. Uh, because what you'll find is this kind of growing tension. The woman moves from 
questioning Jesus, to challenging Jesus, to being frankly incredulous and leery of Jesus. Watch what happens. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, it interests me that she comes alone. But we'll come to realize why she comes alone as her story is unpacked as, as it actually continues. She comes at noon. It's not normally the time you come to draw water. You know what? It's pretty hot. And she comes all by herself. All that is already telling you all kinds of things about this woman. What are her social relationships like? She seems to be embarrassed within her own setting and her own culture. So, she comes to draw water. There's a Jewish man sitting there. Jesus. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food at that point. The Samaritan woman said, and here's her first question, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews, John tells us, have no dealings with the Samaritans. <laughs> One of the things that strikes me as really interesting in this passage are all the barriers that Jesus has to break through. Isn't that true? So he comes to the well with this woman and, and there's, there's, there's two barriers. The, the one that's emphasized more than anything else here is the ethnic barrier. But, but there's also a gender barrier too, isn't there? I mean, we, we don't think about it as much in our day. You know, men and women talk amongst themselves, etc., etc. But in their day, you have to be extremely careful what a man would say alone to a woman. Very, very, very careful. So there was that whole gender issue. And the disciples are going to pick up on that later. Okay, They're, that's going to be the one that's like, what is going on there? But, but she picks up on this Samaritan Jew deal. I mean, you, you know the little bit of stories about the Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews were not terribly close, were they? I mean, there was tension. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Part Jew, part Gentile. And, and there was ongoing tensions. And the Samaritans had developed their own form of worship at Mount Gerizim. And, and one of the earlier Jewish rulers, after they came back into the land, this goes back about 130 years, a guy by the name of John Hyrcanus, he thought it might be kind of a good thing because he was more powerful. He went in and he just destroyed the Samaritan temple. Well, you can imagine that didn't like help matters at all with anybody. And the Samaritans later, much later, came up with this idea on, on one of the great feasts when everything's supposed to be pure and holy, they came in with a bunch of animal bones and just threw them all over the temple court and took off. So this is the kind of thing you find between Jew and Gentile. They are not friends. They got their own religions, they're doing their own thing, and never the twin, and just like stay apart. So she's coming up by herself, alone, without any other women, Perhaps because there's a level of ostracism there. And she comes up to this well. She sees a Jew. And he says, give me a drink. And in asking for a drink, he breaks all the protocol of the day. So she says, why are you doing this? Look at verse 10. Look at Jesus' answer to her question. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and he's going to unpack that gift as the text develops, and who it is that is saying to you, 
give me a drink. He's going to unpack that one too. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then not just well water. I mean, who knows how long that stagnant stuff is sitting around. But something that's living from a spring kind of a thing. Well, now, now in all fairness to, the, to this dear woman, she's not thinking spiritual, is she? And she's thinking water. She came there for water. She wants to drink water. He just talked about living water. Whoever this guy is, living water. But look, in all fairness, think about it. She comes to the well. He says, could you give me a drink? Then he turns around and says, if you knew who you were talking to, I'm the one that can give living water. I don't know. If I was her, I'd be saying, then why are you asking me for something? Why wouldn't you? I mean, come on. And, that's, and so she's, she's thinking like, okay, I don't know why he's crossing this boundary, number one. And number two, he wants to give me living water. Then why do you want water from me? Hello? I mean, you know, she's thinking. So look, look at what she says in response. You know, I mean, I read this stuff. And I, 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 I'm right on her page. Verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I mean, come on, buddy. This is it. What are you talking about? He was talking just like the prophets of old, though, wasn't he? You can go back and read in Jeremiah where, where God will say, you have two great, my people have two great sins. They are trying to hewn out cisterns for themselves and they've rejected me, the spring of living water. Or perhaps he's thinking of Isaiah in chapter 12 and 55. Come and drink water from me. You know, I mean, the, the image is all over there, but she's not like picking up any of it. You know, she's just like, what's the deal here? So Jesus goes a little bit deeper and, and, and frankly, even on this third exchange, this woman who initially questions Jesus and now she challenges Jesus, it strikes me that she's still leery and doesn't fully understand what Jesus is saying. Notice, notice, notice what happens. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Now she believes that. She knows that. She's been up there every day. Okay, no problem. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She must be thinking, like, is this like a fountain of youth or what? And like, where is it? Because <laughs> he's asking me, and this is only a well here. Like, what's going on? And, I, and frankly, I, I really wrestled with this back and forth. And, and I think her response here is not a, a response of desperation. It could be. But look at verse 12. The woman said to him, Sir, is, is she saying this? Sir, give me this water so that I might not be thirsty or, or have to come here to draw anymore. Is she in desperation saying, Oh, please give it to me. Whatever it is, I have no idea what you're talking about, but please give it to me. Possibly. Or is she leery when she says it? Almost tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah, Go ahead and give it to me because it'd be nice if I didn't have to come here anymore. And frankly, I think it's more the second than the first. And then Jesus turns the story, doesn't he? She has just said, yeah, go ahead, 
give me this and so I don't have to come here. And then Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. And I've often thought about this. Think about all the responses she could have had at that moment. She could have said, okay, uh, he's out of town. It's just me. I, yeah, I mean, she could have said a million things. What is it that would allow her to look back at a man who she never even knew minutes before and open up her heart and say, I don't have a husband. Wait, like, what happens there? And, and all I can figure, because the text doesn't tell us, okay, so I'm guessing, doing a little bit of guesswork here, fair enough. All I can figure is, there was something so magnetic about Jesus that she was willing to let down her guard and be vulnerable and say, I don't, I don't have a husband. At least that far. I mean, that's all she said. <laughs> and then Jesus, like, opens it wide, doesn't he? Notice what he says. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And all of a sudden, this woman who has been saying, like, where are you going to get water? <laughs> like, who are you? Is thinking, uh oh, who is this? I mean, no, how would he know any of that stuff? Five times I've been married, five times it's failed. I've lived in, lived in a broken world where relationships just haven't come together. Now I'm with a man because I don't know how else to make it. He's using me, but whatever. That's her life. And in one moment, somebody opens that all up. And what's fascinating to me is this woman, when she initially talked to Jesus, was thinking about the gender and the ethnic barrier. But Jesus had already known about the moral barrier, didn't he? I mean, isn't it the story of all our lives? I know I'm a sinner more than you know I'm a sinner. But Christ always knows Doug Finkbeiner is a sinner more than Doug Finkbeiner does. And still, he loves me. It's a gospel, isn't it? It just begins to open up this woman. No place to go. Jesus never minimizes sin, does he? Never. But he maximizes the grace of God. And he opens up this woman and she has like no place to go. And in that moment, man, all of a sudden, he had told her earlier, look, I'm going to tell you who I am. And she's beginning to realize. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. Right? I mean, something's going on here. That's exactly what she says. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And things are turning. And she said, being that you're a prophet, you've got to have another word from God. So I'm going to put you into a long debate that we, Jew, uh, you, we Samaritans and you Jews have been having about where true worship is supposed to go on. Here in Mount Gerizim, I mean, um, where we're at, down there in Jerusalem, because I think it's up here. And so, so what do you think about this whole worship deal stuff, right? 
That's what, that's what she does. She, she thinks, look, he's a prophet. He knows. He knows me. Man, I wonder, I want to hear what he has to say about like this stuff too. What happens? She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say, you Jews say, if you will, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So, so what do you think about all that, Jesus? And Jesus unpacks what real worship is all about, doesn't he? Woman, believe me, he says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But let me tell you something a little about the Jews and the Samaritans. Here it is. You're, you worship what you don't know. So in other words, you guys have been wrong for hundreds of years. <laughs> right? I mean, the Samaritans have it wrong. So he says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. God has always planned from the ages past to bring it through the Jewish nation. That's the way it goes. But you know what? Look what he goes on to say. Yeah, that's the history. And it's come through the Jews, not the Samaritans. And at that point, she's probably going like, hmm, not so good. But look what he goes on to say. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in the spirit and in truth. You know what He tells her? You're right. You want me to get into this debate about is it Jewish or is it Gentile? Well, I will tell you, it comes through the Jews, not the Samaritans. But you know what else I'll tell you? Right now, it doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. Because now the hour has come with me coming, if you want to worship the Father, you will do it through the Spirit and you will do it in accordance with the truth that I give you. It's me. I'm the fulfillment of all that. Man, she's real in it, isn't she? She's trying to take all this in. What's this mean? And so look what she says. I love it. I love it. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I mean, because now she's thinking, we're talking fulfillment. Ah, says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Think of the journey this woman has taken in a matter of minutes. Stop by saying, Jew, asking me for a drink. To leaving, the text will go on to tell us, she leaves her water. All this physical stuff, it doesn't ever happen. You know, she can't, comes for water. She's so excited, she leaves her water. Jesus wanted to get a drink, never got it. Or well, at least at this point, right? All the way through. And so she'll drop her bottle, man, and she takes off, and she's going to go back, and we find this in verses 28 to 30. She's going to go back into town, and she's going to say, you guys got to come. This person has told me everything I've done. I have to tell you, I'm a little surprised some people came. Would you not be a little bit nervous then? Because I'm thinking, like, if I go, he may say everything I did too, right? <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit cautious, but she's saying, look, he's told me the worst. He knows, he knows me. And he still accepts me and wants me. But, I mean, it's mind boggling. And so she's back witnessing about somebody that she knew nothing about moments before. 
Isn't it an incredible story? And man, they're going to come pouring out. Well, about that time, just as she's dropping her bottle and heading for town, <laughs> the disciples come up and they got food. Because that's what they were supposed to do, you know? And when you get a bunch of guys together and you have food, what do they think about? Food, eating, that's it. I mean, you know, that's where we are. You know, we're very focused at these particular points. See, you got to love this story. I mean, these guys are so us, it drives me out of my mind when I realize they're like, oh, Lord, I'd be right there. I, whatever. Notice what happens here. First of all, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? I mean, you know, they're like, I'm not gonna, you, no, I'm not asking that either. Oh, wait. Okay, whatever. They just, but they were concerned about it, weren't they? All right. Then we have the account in 28 to 30 of the woman going into town and, and announcing who she is. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. Like, you know, we just brought you food. You're hungry. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said one to another, has anyone brought him something to eat? He's saying, look, I have real food that's important. Well, how do you get food? Did you? I mean, like, I thought we went to get him food. No, I thought, yeah. I mean, they're just like on this level, this physical level. Guys, food, eat, that's it. And Jesus is saying, man, I, I've got food. Well, who gave him food? It's a different kind of food, guys. Hold on, you know. You got to love these guys. You just, you, just, you got to love them. All right. Jesus said to them, this is what I'm talking about, guys. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying there's nothing more important on me than to be the savior, the redeemer of the world. And there is nothing I'm more passionate about than reaching beyond all the boundaries that people establish and letting everybody know I love them. I don't care what this woman's background was. I don't care that she's a woman. I don't care what her ethnic group is. She's a person before me. And I will expose her for who she is as a sinner. And as she comes to recognize that, she can still come and accept me. Isn't that great stuff? I mean, we can come to Christ exactly the way we are, and we don't have to play games. I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need of you. That's all God asks. The only people you find in the Gospels that Christ can't help are the self-righteous. Isn't that true? Jesus can't help them. But every time somebody comes and opens up their soul to Christ and says, here I am. That's all he wants. It's great stuff. So he said, that's my will. I mean, that's, that's what I'm about. That's the food. That's the thing that drives me. I'm high hunger for that more than anything else. He goes on to say this. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. It, it may be harvest season right now as Jesus is speaking. And, and he just has them look out and say, look, it's all ready to be harvest right now. Maybe that's what's happening. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You know what he says? 
I know you're guys. I know your stomach's grumbling. I know you want to eat. But there's something you should hunger for even more than that. You should hunger to be part of this incredible harvest that I am producing in the world around you. Which is so interesting to me because when you read through the Gospel of John, people are rejecting Jesus more than they're accepting him. Isn't it true? But have things changed? There is always a harvest in our midst, folks. Yeah, but not totally. I know. But if you look out over a land, you know, you don't see harvest everywhere, but you see incredible places of harvest. And Jesus is saying, you know what's most important? That you as my disciples share my heart. Because what I am passionate about is reaching all people. So, yeah, yeah, we'll eat later. We'll be okay. But, oh, enter into what I am doing. Become part of it. Be part of the harvest. And literally... As he's talking, all these Samaritans are just kind of pouring in. Can you see it? So, the story resolves in a pretty powerful way. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said this, I love it, I love it. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. I mean, your testimony got us here. Fair enough. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. <laughs> In John's Gospel, you know who comes to recognize he's Savior of the world more, than, more quickly than anybody else? A bunch of half-breeds. I mean, the Jews back in chapter 3, Nicodemus, man, he couldn't put this stuff together. He kept saying, like, how's that happen? Like, what? 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 I can't, you know, it just, you, you, you're not quite sure what happens to Nicodemus. You have to keep watching, reading John's gospel to figure it out. But at the beginning, you sound like, this guy's like dunce. He's the, one of the teachers of Israel. He can't put it together. But here you have Samaritans who are led to Jesus by this testimony of this woman. And when they hear his words, they say, he is the Savior of the world. That's a great story, folks. You know what I find as I read it? I find at least two things. First thing I find is this. If you're here today, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you have no reason not to come. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done, Doug. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need to know. Christ does. And you know what? He knows it more than you do. And this text tells me again and again, Christ is passionate for all. He only asks that you honestly come before him and say who you really are. I'm not married right now. I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. And I live in a broken world. That's all Jesus needs. Because you're the person he's come to save. If you will admit you are a sinner. You can drink of this water. And you will never thirst again. And you can come to know what true worship is all about. Because it's all about Christ. Isn't that great? What I love about the gospel 
is it doesn't exclude. It includes. It reaches out. It will not force. But it reaches out and offers. Secondly, when I think of this text, I think of Christians. I think of myself. And I ask myself, Doug, what makes you most hungry? What, what do you desire above everything else? A hoagie? Well, sometimes I like them quite a bit, to be honest with you. It's a nice slab of steak. With onions on top. Or to engage in the harvest. Do you see? John's Gospel... John writes John. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He writes the book of Revelation. You get to the very end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22. And the Bible says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, come, and I will give you the water, the life-giving water of eternal life, if you'll come. And his passion, at the end of John chapter 20, Jesus says, Just as the Father has sent me, so send I you into the harvest field with the same mission. So if you're hungry for Christ, if you're thirsty for Christ, come. And if you've come, hunger to enter the harvest. Father,